Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by John Hancock. We are partnering with them to help you face the future. More on that later, but for now, let's get into the episode. You have to read signs, you have to pause and assess, and you can't just push for what you want. You have to encourage to get what you want. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team, to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Joining us today is Amy Schechter, CEO of Glam Squad, a company that we know and use frequently because they offer on-demand at-home beauty services and so much more, which is very helpful in our day-to-day. Amy's business leadership doesn't seem to fit in one box, but it certainly checks a lot of them. Her career has spanned a range of industries and environments from brands like DKNY, Cole Haan, Tori Birch, Sea Wonder, and Core Power Yoga. I love core power. That's the best. Excited to get into that. (laughs) And across digital and physical channels, both domestic and international. Under Amy's leadership, she's taken Glam Squad into hyper growth mode. Love that term. The company has more than doubled in scale, opened new markets, launched some proprietary tech, taken on new partnerships, and recently launched branded products. That's a lot. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. We don't know when you have a chance to sleep with all that you're doing, but we are very excited to have you here. Welcome to the couch. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So we'll jump into how we like to start all interviews, which is skim your resume for us. Okay. So um, I listen to you guys all the time, and I know that this is the first question. You should start switching it up. Yeah, you should. (laughs) (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, So... I've thought a lot about this, and my background is very diverse and super unusual. And I would say the thread that's woven throughout my career is the fact that I have always taken risks. I have never stayed within a particular box, and I have constantly pushed myself to learn and to do more. And um, that is very apparent in my resume. I'm the type of person, I've been in the footwear industry, I've been in fashion, I've been in fitness, and not many people have the opportunity to catapult into different industries, especially in senior level roles. I started my career at Bloomingdale's, I went through the Bloomingdale's training program, and I thought after five years I could run a business, like I knew everything about running a business, and spent the next few years being a part of businesses that were um, in development and growing and very quickly went on to be a part of companies like Diesel launching in the United States, Donna Karen expanding globally, um, Cole Haan changing from a men's brand to a men's and women's brand, and um, Tori Burch, Sea Wonder, and want to get into that, by yeah. the way. Yes. <laughs> and then had the opportunity to run a business, Core Power Yoga, which was amazing. And 
was an incredible opportunity. However, I was commuting from New York to Denver. I left Monday mornings and came back Thursday night, Friday morning for two years. And um, that was tough, being a working mom and a family unit, super hard to not be there for important moments. And after two years of doing it, made the decision that it was um, too tough, and we had to make a change as a family, and got a phone call from a recruiter who said, you've probably not heard of this little business called Glam Squad. It's an on-demand beauty services business. And I dropped my phone and screamed into it and said, I love Glam Squad. I'm a power user. I love it. It saved my life and got the job. <laughs> so you started off saying you had a really unusual career. So what, what do you think is unusual? So I think it's unusual to be able to work in different industries and to have completely different jobs. I mean, I have been a head of marketing. I've been a head of product. I've run a digital team. I have been in operations. And there aren't a lot of people who have held roles like that. And, you know, I think it's really interesting as well because most women statistically don't take jobs unless they have 100% of the expertise. It's a Harvard business case study. They did it for men and women. It is not my opinion. It's proven that men will take a job if they have 60% of the skills. Women will not take the job unless they have 100% of the skills. I have taken jobs where I wasn't even sure if I could do it. So that's unusual for a woman. When you think about at your core, when we interview people, I always say to them, I'm like, if you just had a laptop and a couch, because we love our couches here, and we put you in a room and we were like, just do what you can do completely on your own with no resources. At your core, are you a marketer, a product leader, an operator, or vision? I would say it's a marketer visionary. So being able to build a brand that is focused on the consumer, which is at the root of what makes a marketer successful. So I think that's the root of it. I have in my career been given a piece of paper and said, build this into a company. I've been given a company that was, you know, not targeting the core customer they were going after and asked to retarget the customer to a completely different customer. So I think that that's marketing-centric, but at the end of the day, I've had the opportunity to run product and merchandising and design teams throughout my career, and I really have had the opportunity to do a lot of different things, but I think at my core, that's what I am. Going back in the day and doing research for this, we have one big thing in common. I know where you're going with this. Um, growing up, you were an equestrian. Well, you were a competitive rider. Danielle, why do you care about this so much? Because I was on my college riding team. What I'm a was college your specific athlete. So Carly thinks that dressage is like the funniest thing ever. I'm like, no, it's like a normal thing. I don't know. I just picture you doing, in, yeah, like yeah. waving ribbons around. Oh my God. I waved my <laughs> ribbons around all the time. How old were you when you started? Um... 
I rode through grade school. I grew up in a city, so it was like two hours to the barn. So by the time I got to high school, I was not in it. Did you and then two I have rode. a jacket with a giant horse on it? I did. Yeah. See, Carly? <laughs> Look at this like, little cult we have here. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that you rode. We are always fascinated by people that grew up playing sports. And what I think it is interesting about um, horseback riding is that it's really individual. What do you think you got from that? So um, a couple of unique things about being an equestrian. First, it's a sport where men and women, boys and girls, compete at the same level. There are, I think, one or two Olympic sports where there is no gender identification, and riding is one of them. So I think very early on, I competed. I didn't worry about whether or not it was with a, you know, against a boy or against a woman. I just went in there to win. I think being a competitive athlete, you learn very, very quickly that winning is fun. And um, drive to win as an equestrian is very within your own capability, but also your relationship with your horse. And so I think you learn a sensitivity towards um, what it takes to be successful through the collaboration between you and the horse. And I think that that skill, really understanding nuance and sensitivity and how to get this enormous animal to do what you want it to do, it's not just because you want it to happen. You have to have a relationship and it has to be a very deeply rooted relationship that is of mutual respect. And as an equestrian, you learn that very early, that you have to read signs, you have to pause and assess, and you can't just push for what you want. You have to encourage to get what you want. What was the name of your horse? First one was Little Gray. I was very young. Next one was Spider. And um, who was not at all looking like a spider. Um, and then after that, I, I went to college without a horse and I rode on an intercollegiate program where you rode different horses all the time. And I don't know what your college experience was like, but where I grew up in the regional program that I was in, you went to different universities and I rode I competed every weekend in college, and um, you had to ride the home team's horses. So the only time you had an advantage was when you were riding at your own school. Um, to clarify, I lasted half a semester in college because I was drinking on the weekends. <laughs> so that's... You cannot drink <laughs> yeah. as an equestrian you can? and make the bus. You cannot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, it was a short-lived career. Right. <laughs> but I do think there's something really interesting between having to communicate something with an animal that you can't control and this illusion of control. Again, it's, it's not just in this particular case, but when you grow up and you play sports and whether it's a team sport, it's individual, how do you think that went into your leadership style? Um, well, it's an individual support, but you are on a team. And as a competitor, you're competing for the win of the team as well as yourself. So I think it teaches you a lot around how to encourage others because you want your team to win. It teaches you how to get along with others in sometimes very small spaces. You know, you're sleeping overnight in a hotel and you're all 
together for 48 hours, you become a very close unit, but you also on occasion are competing against one another. And what is it like to have your best friend as your competition, but also you have to encourage them to win. So you don't want them to lose, but you want to win. So I think you really learn a lot around motivating a team, being a part of a community, supporting others, and also pushing yourself for individual performance and also giving it your best. I tell my team all the time that I was never afraid. It it isn't a characteristic that I grew up with. I don't have a lot of fear. And in some cases, it actually worked against me because I was never afraid to be the one where you know, your leader would say to you, and I want some feedback today, and I'd be the one to give the feedback, not knowing that that was a disaster to actually be honest and give the feedback. When you describe yourself as an athlete and a competitor, and we're talking about competition because that drive in competition is what is needed to break through. And as we talk about navigating the different parts of your career, you obviously were able to break through in so many different ways. Do you think you are most competitive with yourself or with others? Probably myself. Yeah. I was also a runner, and um, that's also an individual sport where you compete with yourself. I'm a so walker. It's, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm it's a, a very individual sport. I'm a runner, but again, not a very good one. So there's, there's like, you're like the good version of all of these things that I like. Um, I want to talk about going through these big moments in your career and going through it chronologically. Tori Birch, then Sea Wonder, and then we'll get into Core Power. For those that don't know the Tori Birch Sea Wonder relationship, do you want to explain it or you want us to? Um, I'll explain it. Okay. So I was working for um, Tori as in a retail capacity and met um, her ex-husband Chris Birch and had the opportunity to go and start a business with him. To me, it was the opportunity really to start a business from scratch and also really exciting to get exposure to Asia. I had not really spent a lot of time in Asia and was going back and forth between Shanghai and the U.S. We built an office in Shanghai, which was really amazing and got exposure throughout Asia, which was really interesting to me. To me, it was about creating a brand from scratch and bringing it to life. When I look at the companies you've worked for, roughly half of them were very founder-driven for a long time. And then they evolved or they grew up in some way, and then you scaled them in different ways. What is your experience working with like very personality-driven brands? I love it. I, I love it. I think it's incredible to have the opportunity to work with people who are visionaries who are passionate and need help operationalizing their ideas. And I get to be a part of that, you know, inner mindset, which is so motivating and so exciting. What's hardest about it? I think that very often there's a founder-led vision and it isn't always the most commercial strategy. And so I think finding the balance between vision and creating a an operationally efficient and effective business can sometimes be a challenge. A lot of our listeners work for sometimes smaller companies or, you know, where there is a founder and we are also founders. Uh, so I'm curious, do you have advice on how to give feedback to a founder? 
You were making me laugh when you said that example of like you actually gave the feedback because we ask for it all the time. And I appreciate it when I get it. And I, I didn't start thinking about how hard it must be to be in that position to give it until probably the past year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to create a path for feedback. I think it's really hard. Obviously, for me as the CEO of a company, I have a requirement mm-hmm. to have honest conversations with the founder. And it's different. But when you go down a few levels, I think it's much harder to create a safe environment for people to say, hey, you know, sometimes when you talk to us, we don't like it. Or, you know, sometimes you ask us to do things that are impossible. I think those are harder things to say when you're slightly lower in the hierarchy. But if you can create a safe environment, I think it's extremely effective to be able to get that feedback as a founder and also for the person within the organization to be able to give that feedback and know that their point of view counts. There's nothing more motivating than to be able to give feedback and see it come to life with your founders. Oftentimes we hear the phrase manage up and people are like, what does that actually look like and mean? And so before becoming a CEO, what did managing up look like for you? I don't know if I was great at managing up, um, but I think today, especially with smaller founder-led businesses, I think it's critical for the founder to create an environment that provides the opportunity to get feedback and to be a part of the community of people. I think spending time out of your office and in the pool where your company exists is critical. And um, I also think that you can create technology solutions for getting feedback that even if it's anonymous, you know, doing surveys with your company and doing um, feedback loops within the organization are ways that founders can get the feedback in a safe way. And then it's all about what you do with that feedback. So getting feedback is great, but then showing your organization that you're doing something about it. So we did a feedback loop about a year ago. We got the feedback. We posted the feedback in one of our squad summits, which is like a town hall. And we said, this is the feedback that we got, and this is what we're going to do about it over the course of the next year. And at our squad summits throughout that year, we went back and we said, this is how we're doing against these initiatives. So we took them seriously. And so I I think it isn't just about getting the feedback. It's also putting it into action and showing what you're doing about it. So as we've mentioned, we're partnering with John Hancock for our Face the Future series. I don't think they paid for that that sound effect. Like, you're welcome, John Hancock. Um, It's all about helping skimmers take the guesswork out of their biggest money moves, like buying your first home, growing your family, or thinking about retirement. That sounds lovely one day. It got us thinking about the kinds of money decisions we were making as we were trying to grow the skim. And there are many, many, many decisions that we were trying to make and trying to avoid while we've been growing the business. One question we get asked a lot all the time is, when did you start paying yourself? When you're starting a business, thinking about when do you take a salary from that, where does that money go first? We get that big financial decisions are hard to navigate. We have been there. We are also going through it. And we break them down all on our Face the Future page. Check it out at theskim.com slash future. Do you want to do a sound effect? Future! <laughs> you can also head over to John Hancock to speak with a financial planner who can help you navigate the future. 
whatever that looks like for you. Core Power, I'm really excited. First of all, it's opening right around Skim HQ. It was based in Denver. Was that the first time you'd had a company that was based not on the coast? I mean, yes and no. Yeah. When I worked at Diesel, it was based in Bassano del Grappa, which yeah. is in Italy, so commuted a little bit there. Um, with um, Sea Wonder, we had a team in Asia, so spent quite a bit of time going back and forth to Asia. So I had traveled extensively in my career, but this is the first time I left home on a Monday and came back on a Friday. You've talked about loving that experience. How hard was it to leave something that you loved for something else that I would assume you love equally, if not more, your family? Yeah, very hard. I had always traveled, so I thought this is just, you know, another form of travel. But being gone Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday is tough. It definitely is. And you know, I got a few wake-up calls from my family at different points. My daughter said something to me once about, it was a school trip, and she was like, well, you're hardly ever here. Your vote doesn't count or something like that. And I thought, ooh, that really hurts. Time to come home, you know. So, you know, it was an amazing experience. I think getting the opportunity to become a CEO is... um, as a woman, it obviously across the United States, there are fewer and fewer women running businesses, getting better, but fewer and fewer. And I think it was a mission of mine to become a CEO and to lead a company and to do it differently and to be a part of a business that was helping people because Core Power Yoga's mission is to change the lives of people. And I loved that mission. Um, so being a part of that community was something that was very compelling. But um, eventually, it comes back to family for me. I'm struck by the idea of looking at both of these experiences, where one is like you wanted to be a CEO, and then you got this opportunity, and that's such an amazing thing from the outside looking into it. And then in reality, you're spending a ton of time on planes and trying to balance this, and then going to an opportunity that's literally called Glam Squad, all about glam. And I think so much of what we talk about is like, it's really, really fucking hard to do all of this. And we don't have kids yet. And so I can't even imagine what it's like to do that. How did you keep yourself together when you were commuting and trying to be there for everyone in different ways? Yeah. So I think it's um, quality of time versus quantity. There are people that go home every single night and they watch TV or they're on their computer. And I took advantage of every moment that I had and made it quality time. Um, Also did things like initiated a yearly mother-daughter trip, which is now something that we do, you know, regardless of where I am. Where's the last place you went? Um... Let's see. We did a trip to the Bahamar SLS. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm dying to go this there. past year. Um, but I, I have to say that um, for probably four or five years, we did LA and we did the same hotel and we did a lot of the same things. That's cool. And it was an SLS and it became our home away from home. And they know us there and they take care of us. And she's gotten sick there and they've run out to the CVS to get her Advil. And 
I, I think it became a, a really wonderful tradition. In addition, she fell in love with the West Coast, and she's doing college applications oh, right wow. now on the West Coast. Wow. Created a little L.A. monster. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I want to just get some stuff out of the way of, like, the perks. So, first of all, your team is here. They have beautiful hair. You have great hair. Do you get your hair done every day, all day? I, <laughs> so, Glam Squad absolutely offers amazing perks. Um, I can have hair and makeup when I need it. Um, and I, I don't usually do it if let's, I... Let's get like real specific. You're like at work. You're like, this is not my best day. Can you be like, I just... Someone brush this. Hair, makeup, nails, any time of the day or night. This is like not only childhood fantasy. It's just like every like girly fantasy but ever I, brought to I life. think it's not about getting, at least with hair, half the time it's not about even like it looking better. It's how I feel mm -hmm. when I walk into a room and I don't have to think about that during the yes, day. I was going to get to that. I'm just okay. talking about the superficial stuff right now, which is like, <laughs> I look ugly today, fix my hair. So we have team meetings. We have a salon in the back of our office. Can I intern uh, for you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Please do. Um, it's an amazing salon with a hair station, a makeup station, and a mani-pedi area. And you can have a team meeting mani-pedi. You can have a um, moment where you want to work on your computer and you can get your hair done. Um, this if is you amazing. Have... <laughs> Carly, our team is also in the room and they're Sorry. looking at us well, like we, we don't get perks. We so, have a different yeah. value proposition. Like we will talk to you about the news, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Glam Squad's mission is to help all women look and feel their best. Right, and the well, feel part of it is is really important. And so if it, if you're not feeling great and you want to go in the back and get a mani because you're going to feel mm -hmm. better, we're all for it. So I actually now want to talk about that, <laughs> which is the, the real substance behind this. For us, very personally, like we got a swagger in our steps, so to speak, when we feel like we look better. I use you guys multiple times a week. You can look at my account. What I think is fascinating is how many female CEOs and women in leadership use you guys. And I think the underlying thing in that is there's part confidence and then there's part of the demands on women in the workplace that we do need to look professional and we do need to look a certain way. And we were recently going through our schedule. We have a coach, um, an executive coach, and I was saying, I feel spread too thin and I'm trying to prioritize. And I had Glam Squad in my schedule three times in a week. And he was like, do you need to do that? And I was like, yes, I do, because I'm expected to like not look exhausted and I'm expected to look professional and as like I'm the one in charge here. And that one hour in my day, we have to both have in our day and you have in your day and so many other women in leadership have that our male counterparts don't. And I'm curious as an executive and also running the company that's providing the service, just your thoughts around the real gender differences and where we see confidence from and also the expectations. Those are fantastic um, data points. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all true. You know, I think that we are expected to look a certain way, but I also think the major benefit that you get, because when you look in the mirror and the mirror says back to you, you look amazing, there's something, there's a transformation that happens inside of you that gives you that extra dose of caffeine to push through the barrier of 
that investor meeting that you were apprehensive about or that board meeting that you were concerned about, there is a skip in your step that you get because the mirror says back, you look amazing. And so I no longer question the why behind it, but I'm really focused on helping all women get it. Instead of looking at it as a disadvantage, I actually think it's a secret sauce that we have that um, men don't have at the moment. Not at least we do, we do cater to some men, but most men don't get hair and makeup in the morning. And so I think it is a secret weapon that women can use to have that extra boost of confidence and motivation to go in there and make it happen. And I am all for allowing women to be the best that they can be. For some people, it's you know putting on that dress that makes them feel like a leader, a little bit sexy, you know, a little bit rock and roll, and they go out there and they make it happen. And I think when you have hair and makeup done and you get to look in that mirror and it just says, wow, there's a transformation that is beyond any words that we could talk about in explanation. Can you talk a little bit about how you have created a culture, which Carly alluded to a little bit with the perks, but beyond that, there's the wider workforce that makes Glam Squad run and work, and that's the providers. How have you set up a good environment for them where I think a lot of people haven't done that well? And I think there's been, obviously Glam Squad is a very different model, but I think that there's been a lot of examples where the providers are actually the ones getting screwed in this kind of and gig economy. And this is usually economy. when there's companies, yeah, a gig economy or independent contractors are involved. So really the question is like, why are you different? Right. From Glam Squad's inception, the idea was to create a um, an experience for our clients and an experience for our beauty pros. Um, our founders looked at the marketplace and said, there are hundreds of thousands of beauty pros out there who actually are not doing their craft. They are hair stylists who are standing in a hair salon all day, hoping and waiting for a client to come. There are makeup artists who are behind a counter selling makeup in order to do the thing that drives them and makes them passionate. And so from our inception, we thought about providing an experience for our stylists that would allow them to do what they love, to make more money, and to be a part of a community and a brand so that they could get to know one another because they were not meeting like-minded artists. They were meeting retailers or they were meeting just people who were, you know, hair cutters in a salon. Um, and so we always approached it with the idea of serving our beauty pros. And I will tell you, and you can ask them, I love our beauty pros. I love them. I am so appreciative of everything that they do every single day. And we work for them. 
And I'm very clear about that. And so is everybody in our company. We want to make the experience for them better. We think about how to allow them to make more money, how to have more flexibility, more satisfaction in their job. And we wake up and we think about them every single day. We talk about them every single day. And I think that that is a distinct point of difference between us and many of our competitors in this sect. I have been going through all of my winter clothes since we're traveling all the time. I'm like unpacking and repacking and realizing that there's a lot of stuff that I don't wear. And there's one drawer that I have systematically avoided in all of this, and it's time to tackle. And that is the bra drawer. I want to open it and feel organized and have just what I need. And that's why we're going to talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Third Love. We love Third Love. They are truly the most comfortable bras. They have no tags. They are itch-free. They're amazing. And they fit really well. And the way they fit really well is you take this really great fit finder quiz. takes no time at all. Over 14 million women have taken the quiz to date. You are in good company. Every customer has 60 days to wear the bra that they buy, wash it, and put it to the test. If you don't love it, you can return it. And they will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Also, as we get into a season of giving back, Third Love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the U.S. So far, Third Love has donated over 15 million in bras. They're an amazing company, and we hope you guys will check them out. Third Love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone. Right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your very first order. All you have to do is go to thirdlove.com slash skim, find your perfect fitting bra, get 15% off first purchase. Again, that is thirdlove.com slash skim for 15% off. When I think about how you've scaled the company and now you have branded products, you have a big partnership with CVS now, how do you decide what to say yes to and what to say no. I think a lot of questions we get from those in our audience who are starting out their own company or are working at a smaller company, it's really a question around prioritization. And I'm curious as CEO, and you've worked at you know much larger companies than Glam Squad, what were the lessons that you're bringing into Glam Squad around how to scale? Yeah, I would say to anybody starting a business or in a smaller business where there's less infrastructure, going through a strategic process where you clearly articulate your key priorities and really understanding what the action steps are within each one of those priorities is critical. We we have a strategic process and we have an OKR process within our organization. Everyone in our company- What are OKRs? um, Opportunities and key results. Um, And we have a very disciplined approach to how we determine what we do and what we don't do. And we actually say we have an executive meeting every week. And if something new is bubbling up, we always say what's coming off. Like these are the OKRs that we are targeting against. And if we take one more thing on, something has to come off. That's a great, great lesson. And the other thing I would say is everyone throughout the organization has to know what they are. So we actually have little cards on everybody's desk that are the four strategic priorities for this year. And then we have a performance management system where 
the strategic priorities are detailed in it, and each person understands what their contribution is to those strategic I initiatives. I want to take out my notebook and write this down. <laughs> this is a wonky question, but do you do it annually or quarterly or both? So we do it quarterly. Um, and we set it up annually. So we set up our strategic initiatives at the beginning of the year, probably like November, December, we start to work on the following year, we set them up. At the end of each quarter, we determine if they should remain the same, the overarching initiatives. We haven't changed them yet. What we did in this quarter, because we do have a lot on our plate right now, is we actually took one of our strategic initiatives off. Can you and say we what said that was? It, I'm not going okay. to. <laughs> I have to ask. <laughs> Uh, we took one off and we said, um, we're, it's not that we're not going to focus on this right now, but for the fourth quarter, these three are a priority and we don't think we can do four well because we really have to focus on these three. And the fourth one was actually our focus for the third quarter. So we took that one off. It's not that we're not going to do it, but we are actually going to focus on the top three. Within those three, we had five action steps and we narrowed it down to three. We go back and forth about this all the time. We use an OKR system. I think a lot of people use it and we're always trying to figure out how it can be better. So that was really helpful. Okay. Last question before our final segment. Do you get a vote now in your family? Does your daughter let you vote? I do get to vote. Congratulations. I do. Thank you. (laughs) All right. This is our favorite segment. Are you ready? I'm ready. Lightning round. Okay. So it's very, very difficult. We are going to throw questions at you. You have to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. This time, it's actually sponsored by John Hancock. So we're going to throw some money questions into the mix. Cool. First job? Bloomingdale's training program. Worst job? Hmm. That's really hard. Wait, I know I have to do this fast. Yeah, you're failing right now. I know. Sorry. It's okay. I don't have a worse job. Do I have to have a worse job? I mean, there's got to be something. Like, like, go back. Were you... Um, I love you. A babysitter? Were you? Oh, worst job. Okay, I got it. I hated being a waitress. Okay. Okay. Hated that. What financial advice would you give your younger self? Uh, save more, spend less. What financial decision have you made recently that your future self will thank you for? A um a very rigorous um program around future savings. Um, So current savings and future savings. What is the worst professional mistake you've ever made? Telling the truth when it wasn't really wanted. That feels like that wasn't like a mistake. That just feels like you told the truth to somebody is not nice. Um, Better said, not playing the political um, space well enough. I guess that's- I'm on your side for this one. Yeah. I mean, it's... But I do think in some roles, like, that is, if that's the existing culture, you kind of... That was exactly the case. Mm -hmm. Not reading the signs and thinking, you know... Not reading the room. Not not reading the room. And I... I, So that's maybe a better way of putting it, you know, not Mm -hmm. effectively reading the culture. And um, and I don't think that, you know, I think that you have to understand the culture that you're working within. What's your um, vice, your biggest vice? Working too much. What's the last thing you binge-watched? Oh, Euphoria. Oh, is it oh, good? I haven't watched oh that one yet. Oh, my gosh. Couldn't, couldn't stop. Ooh. I did it with my daughter. Oh, nice. Oh, my gosh. It was insane. Where's the next trip you want to take with your daughter? We are going to Florence and 
Amsterdam. I gotta get in on this family. <laughs> but, but but I will say that the next one I'm most excited about is Greece. We're going. Oh. My husband's Greek, and we're going to take her to see the islands. Oh, the Greek that's exciting. Last time you negotiated for yourself. Um. So probably two years ago. What's your shameless plug? Vegan pizza. Wait, like you want people to eat vegan pizza? Yes. Okay. Okay. But why? <laughs> Are because you vegan? I'm vegan. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, got it. So a push to veganism. Yes. Got okay. it. Yeah, I mean, any anything. It doesn't. I happen to pick vegan pizza, but vegan. This is food. a really funny answer. I have to. I say. love. This is the best answer yeah. you've ever got. Also, your team is looking at you like you were They're supposed like, to say something about Glam Squad. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Should I go back? No, we're going to keep both answers in. What what is your Glam Squad plug? Yeah. um, Glam Squad twice a week changes your life. Have some vegan pizza while you glam squad and you're good to go. There's a partnership Wait, we talked about this and I wasn't supposed to say the vegan thing. Sorry. (laughs) You know what? I can't help it because I, you know, I believe in it. You're plugging it. It's fine. You got both in. Amy. Vegan food. (laughs) Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, we want to talk to you about one more very important thing, the 2020 presidential election. In less than a year, we'll all be at the polls picking a president, and we want you to be there too. That means you need to be informed. To make it to November, we've got you covered with all of the info you need about the candidates, the issues they're campaigning on, and what their platforms could mean for you. Check it all out at skim.com slash 2020.